You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast. Holly Wednesday, we got to talk some USC Trojan football today, as always. Hopefully, you guys are all staying safe out there. During this coronavirus quarantine, we got a lot of news about the future of college football. How viable is it to have a college football season in 2020? We heard from a lot of USC leadership, so we're going to talk about all of that today. If you have any questions or comments for the show, we love to hear from you. You can email us, podcast at uscfootball.com. If you'd rather call us, you can do that too, 424-254-9141 is the number. You can also text that number, 424 254 9141. We're going to try to dial back on the voicemails a little bit. We've been getting a lot from the same people over and over. We'll play a couple on the show today. Remember, keep them short, keep them under a minute. And you don't need to call 10 times a week. Just call once. We'll do one voicemail. If you keep leaving multiple voicemails a week, that's fine, but we're not going to, I can't listen to them all. So just call once. That'd be great. We'll leave a voicemail and play it on there. And we also need you to leave us some positive feedback, a five star review. Great reviews on Apple Podcasts and all the other podcasting platforms, especially Apple Podcasts. So if you have an iPhone, you have an iPad, anything Apple-related, go to the podcasting app. Please leave us a a five-star review. We'd love it. If you have any questions for the show, you can put them on the five-star review, and we'll read them there. And the person that's going to read those is with me today, Keely Yor, joining us on the line via Skype. How are you, Keely? Hello, hello. I'm doing well. We're simulcasting today, Ryan, for the first time, so that's exciting. Well, we're trying to simulcast for the first time. We'll see. We're uh, we're recording this in on video form. So if you're watching this on YouTube, then you're seeing this in the simulcast. If you're just listening to the podcast, that sounds the same, probably, but that's what we're trying to do. So we're trying to put the little video element to it. We, of course, have our tunnel vision show, which is video only. This is kind of a, a way to show us what we're doing behind the scenes while we're doing the podcast. We're not exactly sure how we're going to do this yet because we have to do other things while this is going on. And now we're going to be on camera doing it. So, you know, Keely, if you go on some long answer, I can't pretend to, you know, pay attention and be falling asleep or whatever. So that's right. Exactly. I really have to pay attention now throughout the entire show. You can't be checking your phone like, oh, I'm answering text messages and stuff while, you know, Dan's talking. Speaking of Dan, we got Dan Weber on the line. He looks very relaxed. If you can watch the show, <laughs> Dan, how are you? Doing good. Doing good. Let's just hope we, uh, we avoid uh, what happened in the uh, Supreme Court last week when they were doing this with uh, some arguments. First time they'd ever done that. And as an attorney was making uh, some kind of an answer to a question, uh, a toilet flushed in the background. And everyone <laughs> kind of went, uh-oh, this is not going the way we planned. It was at the Supreme Court. So, uh, so we'll just see. Uh, hopefully that doesn't happen here. No, uh, yeah, well, no, you can see us, so that shouldn't be happening. But yeah, if you're to take it, we're all like on computers and stuff. If you're taking your phone to the bathroom, those are funny with all the Zoom uh, calls. And 
We're going to talk about some Zoom calls. We did have a call. All of us were on a call with uh, USC Athletic Director Mike Bone yesterday. Uh, Clay Helton was on a Zoom call. I had Brandon Sosna on with Lunch with a Trojan. So we got lots of USC leadership on video over the past few days. We'll talk about all of that. Uh, We also had Dante Williams on. If you have any questions about uh, recruiting, I think we have some of them in there. do want to thank our sponsor, Trader Joe's. They've been amazing to us over the past couple of years. And thanks to all the Trader Joe's workers out there. Every time I go, it's continued to be a great experience during this quarantine because it's, you know, obviously you got to try to stay safe while you're shopping. Uh, It's just, I've never had a problem. Get in there, get what I need, get out of there. They check you out quickly. Uh, It's great. The only things now, you know, it's funny how this has changed from, hey, we want you to bring, you know, reusable bags. Now don't bring reusable bags. Keep them at home. Uh, I actually brought, I think last time I brought them to Trader Joe's, they let me keep them outside. And then I just bagged the groceries myself when I got out there. But um, yeah, so I don't know. Everything changes. Just like the, remember the food pyramid growing up? Keela, you probably don't remember that. We had the four food groups and they made it the food pyramid. They they changed, they changed what they think is good. Egg yolks used to be bad for you. Then now they're good. Then they're bad. I don't know. I mean, everything changes. Yes, Keely? Well, I was just going to say, I do remember the food pyramid, Ryan. You do? <laughs> it, was, it was a lot of bread. There was but a lot that of bread. was for a specific reason. The, like, bread lobbyists made it a thing. I think so. Well, it was funny. The, it was the four food groups. So that was probably before your time. So, like, bread, fruits, vegetables, meat. Dairy, I think they all had one. Then they sort of like, yeah, but breads and grains end up being like on the bottom of the pyramid. And then like, wait, that's too many carbs. So they got rid of that too. So yeah, they've they've changed it a whole bunch of times. Uh, but thanks again to uh, Trader Joe's for uh, helping us out over the years. And uh, everyone, hopefully you go check them out and stay safe as you go there. All right. Uh, we got questions to get to. Like I said, there was some voicemails. It's just, you know, I'm, I, I want to encourage you guys to call on the show. We like you to call in. We just, you know, it's really hard to go through if, if one person leaves like 10 voicemails. So, you know, just leave a couple. So we, we spotted some out there. I got some notes on some other people that left some voicemails. Uh, we'll go into that. So there's been a, a few of those. Uh, but topics off the top, guys, I wanted to maybe we'll start with you, Dan. Um, you know, we like I had Brandon Sosta on last week, I guess it was for the uh, launch with a Trojan. Um, it was right after the uh, the new video uh, hires were made. So that wasn't really like any, you know, too much breaking news out of that, but some good insight into what's going on in the athletic department. But we did hear from Clay Helton and it caused a bit of a stir with the, you know, the, they talked about a lot of contingency plans and one of them was potentially just playing all conference games. And I know Dan, you weren't a big fan of that. So we'll get into that in a second. And then, um, we heard from Mike Bone yesterday. It was, a. I don't think it ended up being like off, off the record, but it was just informal. No one was like doing a story on, our conversation with Mike Bowen, but I think everything was like, yeah, you could talk about what was said. We're not like quoting him or anything, but that was an interesting deal. I think we had 25 people or so, uh, media, we had sports information people that work at USC, Mike Bowen and Brandon Sosta were both on there. Some student media, you know, all the newspapers, uh, the AP was there, us, the three of us. Um, so it was kind of interesting. I don't know, Dan, what, any, uh, takeaways, maybe we'll start with the Mike Bowen stuff. Yeah. Um, Thing I didn't real, I hadn't uh, scrolled through and saw all the uh, lurkers on there, but because uh, there were only you know 
five or six of us who who asked a lot of questions. Uh, had I known Brandon Sosna was going to be on there and maybe make some kind of a negative remark about my Xavier and how many words I said, <laughs> he might have said more words actually. Uh, but uh, didn't realize Brandon was on there. But uh, no, I think it was it was interesting. Uh, one of the things that, and I know Mike really wanted to get uh, students' opinions, and so he really started, you know, talking to the the, the couple of student media uh, people that were on there. And the thing that kind of surprises me, and we're around, you know, the the kids almost every day uh, during the season, is how willing students are today to kind of go along with whatever they're told to do. This is what we're going to do. They're not going to question it. They're not going to ask, hey, are you sure that's the right thing to do? They're very much uh, willing to kind of go along with authority. And I know Keely may not uh, agree with that. I think we can see her reaction to that. That's great. We can can see her. (laughs) And and that actually may not be. One time. (laughs) And that may not be Keely. It isn't Keely. But uh, I'm always, you know, I was, uh, for example, I think we went through this a little bit with football uh, a few years ago with the whole USC was kind of in the center of the whole Title IX issues, whether, you know, those were set up fairly and they've been changed, uh, you know, recently in terms of that process. And I remember trying to explain to some, uh, some of the student media then that if you, uh, you know, set it up, you know, so that it's just really uh, favors one side or the other, that's just not a, not a good process. And they would look at you and say, but that's the way they set it up. So, you know, and you're trying to say, but it's not right. You know, and they look at you like, well, that's what they said. And so I don't know, Kelly, was that surprising to you that, that kids kind of seem like we're going to go with whatever the school decides to do and that's good for them? I mean, what are the real other options, though? <laughs> tangible options protest on USC's campus I just I don't get what the realistic yeah, options are. protest but just the idea that you wouldn't you know write something in the uh, you know if you're a student media person for example you do have some ability uh, to respond to things that maybe you don't think are are being done you know properly or you've got you know obviously the, the Daily Trojan and you got the Annenberg school for goodness sakes and and you know you're really uh, it, it, that's a, I mean, as elite as you can get in, in kind of the next generation of, of media and journalism people. And uh, that's all just more like kind of thinking independently for yourself as opposed to kind of, well, this is what we're supposed to do. So we'll do it. Yeah. I didn't hire Keely because she's an independent thinker. Come on. You know. <laughs> Which is cool. Keely is different uh, uh, from, you know, Keely figures them out for herself. I can tell you that, you know, standing next to her all the time that, that somebody's not telling her what to do. She's figured it out. But I wish she weren't the exception that we kind of run into, to be honest. I don't know. I, I think there's a difference between I think just if you see how the younger people have responded to coronavirus, I think it's very like database science based. And maybe that's why they're more willing to go with the more science projected uh, outcome. So I don't know. I don't want to get too <laughs> into the weeds here, but yes. that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, but overall, like the the Mike Bone stuff. So yeah, so Brandon actually tweeted because um, Brandon and Dan have a little rivalry because of the uh, the Xavier Cincinnati kind of thing. But 
um, tweeted that you know he thought Dan would uh, have more words on the show, but I think we, we were pretty well represented there. I think you know we were you know before Dan got on, Keely and I both got called on by Tim Tesla and the moderator. Just and it was interesting in the beginning. Mike Bone was just wanted to see like, hey, what are you doing? Like we all talked about what we're doing during the you know quarantine. Like I'm like, hey, I'm working out, I'm playing golf or whatever, and uh, and he was like, oh, you can play golf. Like yeah, those are open. It's pretty good social distancing. So I mean. He really just wanted to kind of get a feel for what everyone's doing. I, I thought it was genuine and, uh, you know, yeah, I, I thought it was a, a neat gesture that, you know, something I don't think we would have seen uh, from the last couple of athletic directors, at least. I, I think we'd go back a decade plus and, and would not have ever seen anything like that. I mean, not even close. Uh, whether it was on, uh, you know, some kind of a media or just one-on-one or whatever, that we just didn't ever have that kind of, you know, uh, back and forth or accessibility from those guys or somebody that would kind of seem like they're really interested in, well, what are you doing or what are you thinking? Or how is this, how's this come across to you? Uh, he certainly uh, likes that. He likes to be that guy and, and that's something he's very comfortable with. And again, it's taken some uh, getting used to. Yeah. And to be fair, so Lin Swan would have never done anything like that. He never talked to us. So that would never happen. I think early on, Pat Hayden would have done something like that. He did have like an informal, like everyone come into the office and meet. I think the early in Pat's career, he might have done that and been more open as he got people were more critical. As he made more decisions that were all terrible and he was everyone was criticizing him. He wouldn't have done it. And I don't think Mike Garrett would have like touched it with a 10 football. He didn't like, he would do radio interviews. I mean, I, I think he did a much better job than those other two guys, but he was not the most, you know. Gregarious he, person either. He let me in his office once, so and, and I think we had a we had a minder. Uh, I was probably been there just a couple of months, and uh, and then he started. I remember Mike started asking me questions about what was happening on on the practice field and what does it look like, and and you wanted to say, Mike, you can go out there. They they'll they'll let you out there. You're the AD. I mean, but he just that wasn't what he did. He didn't go out there. And uh, and it was it's been interesting. The last three ads at USC have, have been uh, it's just been an, a, a Mike Bone couldn't be any more different. Let's just say yeah. that from the last three. He didn't play football at USC. We know that. So, yeah. um, but there was some talk about his athletic. Uh, I think Greg Katz had coached or taught some of the players from like Edison High School in Orange County that went to Kansas where Mike Bone was playing. So there was, there was some kind of connection there. So there was just, I mean, it wasn't like, Hey, we're going to break a bunch of news when it came to like questions about, you know, what's going to happen. I mean, it, you know, what is he going to say? They just, things are on the, you know, everything's on the table. Now he did, that was brought up because I Colin Cowherd tweeted out that he didn't think that the USC Alabama Bama game was going to happen. Um, someone brought up the question to him, I think read the tweet or something similar. And Mike Bone said that it just wasn't true. He's talked with uh, Greg Byrne, who's a former athletic director at Arizona. So he was a Pac-12 guy. You know, Mike Bone, you know, was in at Colorado as well. He's now the AD at um, Alabama. So he kind of dispelled that. That this, you know, Well, that I think at first, true. at first, Mike said, I hadn't even heard that. You know, yeah. it was like, oh, wow, I hadn't heard that. And then he, as Keeley, you know, uh, came back with, uh, he went out of his way to say, uh, that's not happening as far as he could, he could say. So there was, uh, there was that little bit of breaking news. I thought it was, I tried to get him to, 
you know, talk about a little bit uh, the whole idea of the Pac-12 being the outlier, the fact that everybody in the, you know, the other Power Five conference school uh, programs all say, well, we think the other four are going to be fairly solid, boy, we can't be sure about the Pac-12. And that's kind of a perception that's out there. And I asked Mike about being the in the Pac-12 where the perception is we're not sure we can count on you when it comes to a unified front and, and as far as what's going to happen with football in the fall. And Mike, Mike's answer was, well, we think we're right in there with the other, uh, other four. And one of the reasons we are is we have the best uh, – We've got the best approach to this. We've got the most people working on it, the most doctors, the most uh, you know, uh, people at, at the various schools in terms of figuring this all out. And that just by the, the strength of how we're approaching this with the most manpower uh, in terms of getting back for the fall, uh, we're going to be fine. But, uh, you know, asking when you ask him, well, what if, what if the governors in Utah, Arizona, Colorado, Washington, and Oregon all say, hey, we're ready to go, let's go, and the governor of California says, not so fast, and Mike said, I don't know, I don't know. He said, that's kind of the issue, isn't it? And I said, yeah, that's kind of the issue. Yeah, well, we'll probably leave it at that because we're, you know, I, I don't think there was anything kind of groundbreaking from that. Mike Bone tweeted out a picture of it afterwards, and it was uh, – it was cool that he, you know, he just kind of embraced being able to talk to the media. So really just more of an informal thing to, you know, ch chat with the media and see where everyone was. So I thought that was a, a good thing. Um, we've also seen the Pac-12 do these webinars uh, this week. So, so far, nine coaches have gone. Let me pull up all the list of who uh, has gone so far. So day one on Monday, it was uh, Stanford's David Shaw. USC's Clay Helton and uh, Washington State's Nick Rolovich. So he's the new coach, came over from Hawaii. Uh, yesterday, it was uh, Colorado's Carl Durrell. Someone was saying it's UCLA's Carl Durrell. He's no longer the coach at UCLA, but he's now the coach <laughs> of Colorado. Uh, Utah's Kyle Whittingham and uh, Washington's new coach, Jimmy Lake, former D.C. there, gets promoted when Chris Peterson retires. And then today, just right before this call, uh, Arizona State's Herm Edwards, uh, Oregon State's Jonathan, Jonathan Smith, and UCLA's Chip Kelly uh, were on there. And the first day with, uh, you know, I think it was Peter Arbogast asked the question about, um, you know, the potential of just playing a conference schedule. And Clay Helton took the first part of it saying, yeah, the, that's something that's definitely been talked about. And, uh, you know, and David Shaw followed up with that, you know, how it would impact uh, the playoff. I've, I've talked about this before. If you end up just doing like a regional thing where you're only playing in conference, Having an expanded playoff afterwards would be interesting, kind of an interesting uh, aspect to it. But, um, Dan, I know you wrote a column. You weren't super uh, excited about uh, this possibility. I didn't, I didn't think this was something Clay Elton was advocating for or anything, but um, it's just something that's come up like so many other contingency plans, in my opinion. Yeah, I thought it was kind of weird, though, that, that Clay Helton would be the vehicle for which it was by which it was revealed to the rest of the country that the Pac-12 was considering playing only Pac-12 games, that that was even on the radar. And I'm thinking, if you're at Notre Dame or Alabama or Michigan, who's supposed to play uh, Washington or you know any of those big schools that have really big games scheduled against Pac-12 teams, and you see this hit the wire that Pac-12 might be considering only Pac-12 games on their schedule, it just seemed like a kind of a weird way to get that 
out into the public that Clay Helton would be the one that would be the, you know, the vehicle on the first day to, cause that made news. Everybody in the country paid attention to that. Yeah. That was like, and that confirms everybody says, see PAC 12, they're in their own world out there. Uh, I don't know that that, you know, that might've been the most honest answer you could have given Pete's question, but it just seemed like you probably didn't want it to come out that way. I, I don't think. And and the other second part of that is I didn't see an advantage into going to an all pack 12. I mean, are you going to trade USC's 1400 mile trip to Dallas to play Alabama for an 1100 mile trip to Pullman to add Washington state to the schedule or in USC's case, if they did that, that would be a, a year where USC played just five home games, six road games. Uh, it just, it, it would seem like it's just one more move that would isolate the Pac-12 and anybody in the Pac-12 that hopes they've got a chance at the playoffs from the rest of the country. So I didn't exactly see what would be the benefit. The only benefit I've been able to come up with with all Pac-12 schedule would be if you decided you weren't going to be ready to start right away in September and you wanted to move it a month or two later and you only were playing your own conference, you could do that. And because of the weather, the Pac-12 could probably do that. But other than that, I just can't come up with any benefits. And, and it would be costing USC a gigantic payday uh, for the Alabama game. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just losing Notre Dame for, for one year, I think, would be really tough. And then how do you make that up with Notre Dame in the future? Because Notre Dame's future schedules and USC's future schedules are based on every other year you get a home game from USC or Notre Dame. Well, what would happen next year? Would USC say, well, we need Notre Dame to come to USC? And Notre Dame might say, but our home schedule, you know, we need you as our home game. Yeah. There, there just seemed so many problems. I, I, I really didn't see an upside. I get what you're saying. It, it, I, to me, this was more of a Pac-12 issue. Like, I'm not going to blame Clay Helton for what he said. I oh, think no. like you said, it was an no, honest no. answer. Um, the problem is there was a couple times when the question was asked and nobody answered. There's like awkward pause and then Clay would kind of chime in and just try to be the nice guy and answer the question. But if I'm the Pac-12 and you know these things are going to come up, I don't want Clay Helton to answer that question because he has Notre Dame and Alabama on his schedule. Right. I want... Uh, like Arizona State, who I don't think plays anybody, right? I, there's, I'd have to go back and look at the schedule. But there's some Pac-12 schools that don't really have anyone on the schedule. So it's fine for them to say, yeah, we're not going to play, uh, you know, Portland State and blah, 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 whatever. You know, you're, you're Oregon and you're playing Ohio State. Like, no, I don't want, uh, you know, Mario Cristobal to say anything about that. You're Jimmy Lake. They got to play Michigan, you know, so so maybe that would have been a Stanford thing. I don't know. I, I, I have to look at Stanford's schedule this year. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, they've got Notre Dame. Oh, they have so, Notre Dame. So that's a so big Notre one Dame sitting there saying, wait a minute, we're going to lose maybe our best two games. I, I don't think Stanford might be in that category, but still Notre Dame's looking and saying, oh, man, this is not good. Yeah. Keely, did you have any thoughts on the uh, the call there? from? Correct me if I'm wrong. Has Larry Scott said anything or had any like state of the conference type of address yet? They just put out a statement uh, a few not not very long ago uh, in response he, to the uh, Cal State. Right? Uh, 
No, the uh, Cal State uh, uh, decision that they're going to shut down uh, for the fall. And mm-hmm. apparently the Pac-12 felt like um, we better respond to that because a lot of people were writing, uh-oh, if the Cal State system set, shuts down, what does this mean for the Pac-12? So they've just released a statement that said it doesn't mean anything. We're going to make up our own own decision. But you're right. Uh, we haven't heard from, from Larry on the all Pac-12 schedule or anything else like that. And, and you don't see that much for other conferences, you know. Even Nick Saban doesn't speak that much for the AC. I mean, for the SEC. Dabo Swinney doesn't talk for the ACC. So it was that was just odd. That's all. Just another case where the Pac-12 seems to be out on their own. Because what I said, I think last week on the pod is you would need someone like Larry Scott, the Pac-12 commissioner, to keep everyone kind of united and together, even though the states are making different uh, legislative demands, but to have this webinar happen and you have coaches saying different ideas and we haven't really heard a mass, like this is where we're going. This is what we think from Larry Scott. I think that's a little weird because then you get the whole situation of Clay Hilton kind of making news by saying something that he's heard, which it's not, I don't think it's his fault, but shouldn't Larry be the one to step in and kind of disseminate that information prior to something like a webinar with Pac-12 coaches? Indeed. Exactly. That's kind of thing that worries you a little bit about, Will the Pac-12 be able to get its act together in terms of just dealing with the six governors, uh, you know, in Pac-12 territory and that kind of thing? You got to be pretty disciplined and you got to be pretty together. And, you know, we're not always sure that's the case with the Pac-12. Definitely not always uh, together. So I think that's certainly one of the issues. Um, But I'm, I'm curious to see. Where this goes, uh, it's not. I think there was a couple of questions today. I was listening to the webinar. Um, we had Chip Kelly and Herm Edwards, and it was weird. A couple of things kind of came up that were that we kind of know were not true, or you should have known the answer to. So that kind of let left me a little worried too. One of the questions was, um, you know, are you in favor of having the NCAA and Mark, you know, Emmer take over and like kind of steer the ship on this one? And he came out, I think it was yesterday, and said. That's not what they're going to do. We're going to default to the states and the universities. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting. And then they also brought up the you know, the L.A. County thing where the three months stay at home order, which and I haven't dug into it as much, but I watched the update today. And d- the first part of the update, and I tweeted this out, was that they apologized for the confusion, c- you know, quote, confusion that was caused yesterday. If you go and look, I guess the L.A. Times tweeted it out and it might have been where a headline was, mis- you know, um, deceiving a little bit where saying that, you know, LA needs to shut down for the next three months. I think it was something more along the lines of the next three months, they're not going to be able to kick people out of, you know, landlords won't be able to evict tenants or something like that. Because when the, the update today, they were, they started opening more things up. So they're, they're still phasing in the different, uh, you know, slowly opening things up. So that's another headline that, Maybe it was sensationalized by the LA Times. I'm not sure. I don't know exactly what happened there, but that made the rounds. And then even got it came up on the call today, and nobody said, well, that really wasn't even the case. So there's a lot of worry. The Cal State system, Chip Kelly on the call today had to say, I had to tell people, UCLA is not part of the Cal State system. It's a UC system. So there's, there's like, I don't know, just things get out there, and then it makes the run. I mean, I did like three radio interviews in the last 24 hours because of Stuff like that getting out. Well, you know, another thing, I don't think anybody's commented on this. Uh, USC 
right now, Mike Bone says we're going to open against Alabama and Texas. Well, you know, there is a uh, in place in Texas for people flying in from California, a two week quarantine. Uh, hello? USC going to hit the fly in two weeks before the game? Those of us in the media, are we gonna, if they play the game, if that rule stays the same, we're going to have to go and be quarantined two weeks in Texas? Come on. So a lot of stuff has to change. But apparently that's the, that's the Texas rule right now. If you're coming from California, two weeks of quarantine. Hello. Wow. That's kind of crazy. That's a long vacation, Keely. Well, <laughs> we'll skip the end of fall camp and just go right into uh, right good into, to me. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but there's, uh, yeah, some of the webinar stuff is interesting. I'll try to tweet out some stuff. Um, I tweeted out from the Pac-12 podcast. If you want to check that out as well, that's our Pac-12 one I do with David Woods over from the bro site. Um, but you know, it's, it's some insight into what the coaches think. It was similar to what we were hearing. Otherwise it's like, you know, and Herb Edwards said this a couple times today. Hey, I'm a football coach. Like I'm trying to prepare my team. Like, I don't know all this stuff was going to go. I don't know if we should go back to school or whatever. And, um, so, because today on the call, you had Oregon State. So, the, the state of Oregon, the governor from Oregon was the one saying, like, nobody can do anything until, like, you know, the end of September. No gatherings. And then you're like, what about uh, Oregon, Ohio State? You know, like, that kind of gets lumped in there. Oregon, I think Oregon State plays Oklahoma State, but that's on the road. Um, and, you know, Arizona, their governor is like, hey, we can have pro sports here tomorrow. If, you got, you know, if anyone wants to come out and you want to have a baseball season, we can do that. And then, of course, UCLA in California. So it just depends on which state you're in. Um, and they all had kind of different perspectives today. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. I mean, it just, you really, there are so many levels of people who will be involved in the decision-making. I mean, just for USC, you've got, you know, the city of LA, uh, LA County, you've got California, you've got the PAC 12, You've got, you know, the USC Board of Trustees. you got, I mean, trying to figure out how's that all going to come together? Um, boy, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, is will USC say, hey, whatever the Pac-12 does is, is good for us. We're, we're ready to go. Uh, you know, will the governor of California say, yeah, we're, we got four teams in the Pac-12. Whatever they say, that's going to be good for us. Or will they say, or the mayor of L.A.? You know, he's been pretty strong about not opening up all the way. Uh, I don't even know, can USC open the campus in the fall without the approval of the mayor of L.A.? I don't know that we've got an answer to that. Uh, uh, I mean, there's just a whole lot of, by the way, I did see, uh, I mentioned it in a column today. The only plan I've seen for a, a football game with social distancing is the Miami Dolphins have come up with one. They've got a 65,000-seat stadium, and they've come up with uh, 15,000 that they could go uh, to 15,000 in their stadium and have adequate social distancing. And I was thinking, you know, that's not that different from the, the Coliseum. And let's say they would decide at the Coliseum you can go with 15 or 20,000, let's say. How would you divide that up? You know, half students, half uh, donors, season ticket holders, a third students, a third, you know, whatever. I, I mean, there are so many decisions that would have to be made between now and whenever. The, it's, it's just, 
hard to even imagine uh, how much has to get done. And that's the thing. And uh, we'll, Keely, I think we'll jump into questions after this. We've got a couple of voicemails, but we can start with some of the ones you want to do. If it's any indication, uh, so I've played golf uh, several times during this quarantine. Originally, Ventura County was open to play. Then Orange County opened up and just recently LA County opened up. So now you can play anywhere. There's all kinds of new rules. The, the point of this is every course we've had, we've I've gone to has had different rules and they're supposed to be like these universal rules. Some of them didn't have carts at all. Some of them would be, you could ride a cart, but you have to be in it by yourself. Um, none of them, you could, the flag would come out, but some of them didn't have a flag at all. They had like a little flag in the hole. Some of them had like the big flag, but it just wouldn't come out. All of them had some sort of covering on the hole. So it would only be about an inch deep. So you don't have to reach your hand in. All of them had, you know, missing rakes. All of them had missing ball washers, but some of them would require you to wear a mask the whole time. Some would require you to wear a mask when you're in the tee box or on the green. Some of them would, would not require you to wear a mask at all when you're out on the course. So it's just, everyone was different. And that's why you get worried a little bit because college football doesn't have that czar. You're going to get all these politicians, local, you know, city, county, state, national, and commissioners for each different conference. I mean, there could be, that's just from golf courses in Southern California. What are the rules changes going to be like all over the place? I mean, I don't know. Like, it's going to be crazy. Well, I know. I thought, and and this probably isn't revealing anything that we're not supposed to reveal, but I've seen it a couple of other places. And then Mike Bone didn't disagree that if you had to go in a direction of somebody to run college football from their perspective, or not exactly a czar, but somebody that would make the final call, everybody in the world likes and respects Bill Hancock, the, the executive director of the college football playoffs. And his is a name that people say, maybe if we need somebody like that, he'd be the guy to go to. He's universally respected, liked, uh, uh, trusted, uh, a really good guy. Uh, but his name, you keep hearing it bounced around. They're not going to let the NCAA get control of college football ever. Not anything that would break up the NCAA if the NCAA tried to take over college football and, and the powers would, you're just not going to do it. They wouldn't let, they wouldn't let the NCAA have anything to do with the bowls. And then when the playoffs came, they said the same thing. We don't trust you. We don't want you taking it over like basketball uh, and you're not getting football. And the NCAA, so the NCAA, I know when people say, well, what does Mark Emmer think about it? Or what a, Mark Emmer when he is asked, says, hey, that's not my call. That's not, we're not making any calls about the college football season. And that's, and the college football people aren't going to let him or the NCAA make those calls. Well, Keely, should we jump into some questions? Let's do it. This one's more of a comment, so maybe get your guys' thoughts on it. It's from Frank in Sacramento who said, just watch Tunnel Vision with Brandon Sosna. That guy is a force. USC Athletics is in very good hands if we can keep him. He and Mike Bone's philosophy of listen and learn explains why Clay Hilton couldn't be fired right off the bat in December. Frank in Sacramento. Yeah, I mean, I think a couple of things there. I think even though there was the real potential that someone would underwrite Urban Meyer uh, if he if they brought him in, I think there was a hesitation at all levels at USC just because of Urban Meyer, the force that he is. And how strong he is and was, you know, with a, a brand new athletic director and 
you know, a relatively new president and all of that, and with some questions about, you know, Urban's uh, situation at Florida and Ohio State, uh, I don't think they wanted to deal with that. And then probably it looked like they looked into Clay's contract a little bit more and said, uh-oh. So I think it was a whole whole bunch of those things. I don't think that was a true decision exa- exactly to keep Clay. I just think, you know, it took 11 days, and I just think – uh, it wasn't exactly a decision. It was more of we've got other things we can do. Do we want to, you know, start here? Uh, so, so you know, so I would measure uh, Bone and Sosna based on everything that's been done since then. That ain't gonna uh, fly with a lot of our posters on the P. <laughs> they're not. They're not accepting uh, that because you know they're gonna say, what about Clay? What about how many times do we see that? What about Clay? But, uh, Does that come up on the board at all? Yeah, Dan? I think I've heard of. I mean, I know it's gonna come yeah. up. I'm, I'm just betting. Uh, but, I was like, hey, I got tested for uh, the coronavirus and I was negative, and they're like, well, what about Clay Hilton? I was like, oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, uh, so so I, I wouldn't go there for those two. I, I think they should be measured on everything since then. We'll never probably know all the things that happened to uh, uh, you know have Clay still still be here. But uh, but I, I would measure them based on everything they've they've done since then. And and uh, and, and it's been impressive. I mean, they 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 look at everything and say, you know, what could, I like them. And especially with Brandon, he's really competitive and we haven't seen. I mean, we've had great athletes as as athletic directors and there wasn't a hint of competitiveness. How do we how Good do we point. do this? How do we dominate? And I don't think you can run a sports program if you don't have that competitive edge. And these guys are bringing a competitive edge. What can we do to be the best? I mean, no one would have even dreamed uh, recently that we could uh, you could go get the guys from LSU. You would say, oh, LSU can't go there. They got too much money. That's too big a deal. And they went and got those guys at LSU. Or if somebody said, hey, let's go get the best recruiter uh, from Oregon. A guy on the West Coast might be as good as anybody in the country. In years past, it would have been like, we have no shot at, at, at getting that guy to come here. Uh, and that and that happened. So I think that's how I would measure them, that they're, they're out there competing to put together as good a staff you know, is I think it was humanly possible to pretty much put together uh, you know, the way they've done it, and it's it's kind of proven out. And I think you never know what's going to happen. I mean, when they put that staff together, they didn't know there was going to be a pandemic that would shut everything down. And what's happened now? I don't know if you've seen the number. I think there are 600 commitments to uh, major college football now. That's double. Last year at this time, there weren't 300. So people are committing earlier, maybe committing closer to home and all of that. And USC has a staff that's constituted uh, in order to take advantage of that. If last year's staff were still in place, how many commitments would USC have? And would they be in the top five? I mean, that answers itself. I mean, just asking the question. But so by by competing to get as good guys as they could get, and get them in here. You don't know what's going to happen, and now you got guys that can are ready to take advantage of uh, of of what was unpre- unforeseeable. I mean, uh, so you know, I'd I'd measure in a bone and so based on on that 
and, and the results that we're seeing. Now, will the results on the field, on practice and game day, re, uh, be as different from last year as the recruiting results are? I don't know. But the ability of Clay to work with these guys and let them recruit as differently as they're doing it from the past couple of years, does that say maybe this th- this can also happen, you know, in practice and game plans and and um, and game day and all that? You know, USC fans can only hope. Yeah, I, he was very. Brandon was very impressive. I met him. He reached out to me. I met him right after the Holiday Bowl. He had flown out from Cincinnati, went to San Diego, came back, met me for lunch in Hermosa. I posted on the Peristyle how impressed I was with him. I got a lot of pushback, but after you know watching the interview with him, after watching some of the things that they've done, hitting some of those singles, he's just impressive. And I, I like the way you put it, Dan. I think this is a competitive group. Even though you had these elite athletes that were the athletic directors before, you just didn't feel like they were competitive about this stuff. They were never going to push the envelope. They were never going to try to – they were just kind of going along with whatever was going on there. This is, the, this is what you get when you hire experienced people that have done this before. They have at least – you know. Maybe their philosophy isn't right. We don't know, but they have one. They they they've done things before, and they're going to have a, a game plan of what they want to do again. Um, we uh, so we had a couple of voice. I'm going to get the voicemails. We did have one mentioned in the video stuff. I'll get to that in a second. But Dan, uh, we got this on Tunnel Vision as too as well. Our buddy the Cattleman left like a two minute voicemail. Sorry, Cattleman, we can't talk about. It. But really, he does not. He was harping on. Mike Bone tried to hire Butch Jones at Colorado, and he said he hired him at Cincinnati. Um, we kind of went back and forth. Was he really there at Cincinnati when he hired him? But I guess he did. Um, I didn't go back and look. I don't know if you did, Keeley, but he had he had you know he was very successful at Cincinnati. He just didn't have a good run at Tennessee. So uh, he also said that people that Mike Bone was clueless. That people didn't realize that they wanted Clay Helton gone when he got there. Mike Bone certainly realized that people wanted Clay Elton gone. He he had a three-week window to make a choice, and I think Dan talked about that. But I don't know if you want to address, because your Cincinnati ties, the uh, the Butch Jones stuff. Uh, yeah, no, I'll, be, I'll be honest. I didn't like Butch Jones much at all, but he followed. I mean, here's the amazing thing about Cincinnati. Uh, the two previous coaches uh, went on to – why can't I think of the guy's name at Michigan State? Uh What's his Mike uh, D'Antonio? Mike D'Antonio. Mike D'Antonio, followed by Chip Kelly. So how good was USC or Cincinnati in those two hires? Now they set things up in a way that Butch Jones could probably not fail right away. And he got out of town quick enough. Tennessee, you know, dumb as they were, it was really <laughs> a dumb hire uh, for Tennessee to hire him away because he was existing on uh what what uh, the two previous coaches had done, and they were so much better than anybody, uh, you know, would have uh, expect to have it at Cincinnati. But uh, uh, yeah, I didn't, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't vouch for. I mean, I think he got his uh, uh, his basketball coach higher right. I think he got the baseball coach higher right there. I think he got the football coach higher right uh, after that. But yeah, I, I would not vote. Vouch for the Butch Jones hire. Butch sounded like uh, a college football coach. He looked like one. He just he wasn't one. I mean, as he proved. Yeah. I mean, he had a, he had a good record at Cincinnati. I was. I oh, mean, yeah. I'm not going to like destroy Mike Bone because of you know trying to hire him or hiring him or whatever. 
No. Um, Keely, we do have a voicemail on the oh, video, guys, or do, would you rather go to a question? Do you have something no, similar? Fine. Go for it. I've been just trying to jump in, and it's fine. Keep going. <laughs> okay, here we go. Here's the question. Oh, hopefully, this comes through. I don't understand why we had. I think we got to start that again because I didn't. Ha- I had it muted, so I will unmute it. Here we go. Hey, podcast, got a question for you. I don't understand why we had to hire two video guys to poof up the program making videos for the football team and the players. Why would we have to steal them from LSU? I mean, I understand for their part, they would like to get into the USC film program, and it makes sense for them. But we've got a whole film um, section of the school Certainly there are two guys or three guys or a class that would love the opportunity to do things for the football program. And they could even make a get, grab a teacher and make them make an assignment, you know, each week to do something for the football team. I mean, they should be tied hand in hand. It would be a learning opportunity for the students. And, you know, I just think it would benefit the, the football program and it wouldn't cost as much. So anyway, you thought about that. It just didn't make sense to me. Thank you. Bye. Hey, real quick. I went on a rant on this on Tunnel yeah. and Rick. This is exactly what's wrong with USC. Why go hire someone that's good at their job when you could hire someone who has never done it before, but they're already at USC? Isn't that better? No, it's not better. You get the best people in the business. They hire the best people in the business. That's, it's that simple. Like, I don't get it. I don't uh, get it. Uh, yeah, I, I can't resist this. When you say, why did you hire the guys at LSU? I still remember when they asked the famous bank robber, Willie Sutton, why do you rob banks? He said, that's where the money is. Uh, if you want to go out and get the best, you go to, you, you look around the country and you say, where are the best guys doing this? We need somebody to do this. And you go to LSU and usually that's where it would stop. But they, it didn't stop. And wh- the neat thing you found out about Jacob Brown and is it uh, what's is Will Stout? Uh, yeah. How much they wanted to be at LA? How much they wanted to be part of the film school and the environment here? And I mean, uh, Will's still in, in school. I mean, so you know he he's getting a scholarship, you know, getting a scholarship and getting paid. But it's not like you're having to hire, uh, you know guys that you're having to pay, uh, you know, coordinator salaries to. They're young guys and loving being here. And I think USC, the environment at USC and the film school and everything else is improved immeasurably by bringing people in like that. They're going to bring something to USC. Hopefully, you know, they can uh, take uh, uh, interns and apprentices and all that from the film school. And they said uh, as much. They said they wanted to do that. Um, I mean, I already ranted about this. I don't understand why people they've we've always talked about USC's Rolodex, how USC has to go out and get the best. That's what they did here. And honestly, can I be honest? I feel like it's in, insulting to the creative process. Like these guys, they have to plan these videos. They have to search for narrators. They have to play. It takes time. And to have this be like a weekly assignment type of thing. It's not like that. It, oh. it takes so much time, so much editing footage that you have to log you have to do and to to suggest that it's some willy-nilly thing is just wrong and also go back and watch when ryan asked dante williams the new cornerbacks coach what these type of videos do for recruits and college athletes they love these 
Dante looks so excited that he has a clear asset to help him recruit for USC. So to me, this is kind of like a generational understanding, misunderstanding. And I hate to like pull that card as a young person, quote unquote. But I just think that the people who don't get it don't understand where recruiting is now and how much effort and time it takes to make videos like this. That's it. That's my key layer. If you if you had if you had any question about hiring these guys, all you had to do is watch their first the first hype video, and you would say, "Oh wait, they do that." I mean, I don't know how quickly they turned that thing around, but it's spectacular. I mean, everybody yeah. everybody in the world that saw that went, "Holy criminy!" I mean, you were seeing sportscasters and you know alums and all that saying, "Whoa, that's great stuff," and you know, if you had a question before that, you saw that, you just say, I got no more question now. Yeah, that's, I mean, completely. Plus, the first three seconds of that video was amazing because it was my voice. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, ridiculous. But, like, the way Keely put it is perfect. Dante Williams is, like, the ninja recruiter. He's the Pac-12 recruiter of the year. He's got he, he's got his weapons, you know, whatever he needs to do. He's got like his ninja stars and his uh, nunchucks and stuff. Well, then you're like, what do you hire these video guys? Now you gave him a bazooka, too. So he can still <laughs> do his ninja stuff. But if he needs to bazooka somebody, he can do that. You know, there's like the Indiana Jones scene where the, the, like that samurai guy's in front of Indiana Jones. He's like, he's just fought all these guys. He's like wiping his brow. And he just pulls out his gun and shoots them. It's like it's a lot easier. You're bringing a gun to a, a sword fight. And that's what you're giving Dante Williams by giving him these video guys. So. It's fine. Like, why? Like, the students at, in the, the cinema school, I, I mean, I bet you half of them don't even know what the football team is. So that's a problem. Exactly. You know? Yeah. It's not like why they're jo- he- like all these people were jonesing. There wasn't any connection between the cinema school. Now there will be. Now you'll be able yeah. to bring some of those guys in. Well, and the other thing is, we do not ever need another, he's, they're going to learn on the job. How? Yeah. Ever. Yeah. For any position, nothing yeah. can't do it. Yep. Sorry, sorry about that, Rick. But we just yeah, sorry. We kind of had to give you a little crushing. There, That's all right. Yeah, yeah, on video too. So man, I know I was pretty uh, very introvert. And it's kind of interesting when we play a voicemail and we're like listening, and you could see our expression, like, <laughs> "What did he just say?" Or whatever. Yeah, know? I gotta watch my reactions on yeah. video now. It's calling me yeah. out. Uh, should we jump back into emails, Ryan? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Um, first off, it's from Stephen Poway. He says, Dear Ryan, Dan, and Keeley, are you aware of any petitions from USC or Pac-12 football players expressing their desire to play football this fall? I would assume that USC administrators, administrators will be tempted to forgo football this fall if they can't guarantee safety 100%. To get out ahead of this and to let their feelings known, I would expect players to band together and let the administration know how they feel. Steve and Poway. I would doubt that players even are willing to admit that there's a chance that they're not going to play this year. I mean, I, I think to put together a petition might be uh, giving that more credence than than anybody wants to give it at this point in time. And I think the other the other thing I'll react to what Stephen said there was um, one would hope that the standard is not we can protect you 100 percent. And it's like if there's one uh, infection, we close everything down. That's not the real world. That's not how the real world works. I mean, there's risks in everything that we do. And you have to balance the risk and the reward. And I think too often, and we heard a sentiment last night on on our call, where 
is if one person, you know, uh, and I don't know if they, you know, if you lose one person, then is it worth it to have football at all? I, I think that's an, a false choice, and it's not how we do things. And I don't think we can ever guarantee that. I mean, if 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 the if the question is if anybody's going to come down sick as a result of this, we can't have football. We're never going to have football. We're not going to have USC. I mean, you can't do that. It's not going to happen. Uh, you got to have it under control. It's got to be, you know, manageable. It's got to be able to be dealt with. You got to have the testing and all the therapeutics. But uh, not, no one should ever be talking about we're going to be able to guarantee you 100% safety. Uh, you can't do that. Yeah. Life is not 100% safe. So. Yeah. Adam Silver of the NBA said that almost word for word, I think, yesterday, Dan. So oh, you're good. on the same page. He, he's a smart guy. Okay. He is. <laughs> um, on a similar note, we actually got an email from Frank from Las Vegas who said, I've enjoyed discussion on uscfootball.com about the different scenarios for this fall, depending on what the politicians decide is best for everyone. Keep up the good work. I have related questions for Keeley and Dan. If a football player on the team that USC is scheduled to play the next weekend tests positive for the coronavirus, does the entire team get guaranteed, uh, or sorry, quarantined and rule ineligible to play, forfeiting the game to USC, or is the game canceled? Thanks for keeping us up to date with what's going on at USC in the Pac-12. Stay safe and fight on. Frank from Las Vegas. Yeah, I mean, I think that's why you have to have a lot of, you know, the ability to test and test quickly and test everybody. But uh, I think everybody that's, uh, you know, test uh, uh, positive, I mean, uh, excuse me, test negative, I guess, would be the way to do it, um, is allowed to play. And if you test positive, you're not. And I don't know that in in this environment, you're going to be able to quarantine whole groups of people you know, for two weeks, uh, it's just, it's not possible uh, uh, to do that. And, you know, obviously you have to have other things in place. For example, I mean, the therapeutics that has to happen is if you test somebody, you can immediately put them on something that will pretty much guarantee that they won't get really, really sick. If, if you can do that and short circuit it, uh, there, but you got to be able to test everybody so that whenever that happens, you quarantine them and you get them you get them immediate treatment uh and we can't we can't do that yet i mean we're going to need to be able to do that to open up usc we're going to need to be able to do that to open up football but i don't know that you can anymore like quarantine everybody uh if somebody has uh you know a negative test i I just don't think that's uh then if that's the standard then you 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 really shouldn't start the season because that's probably not going to happen yeah, I don't think you could have one test. I mean, one person test positive, because then you can monitor that other people they ever, they can get tested and make sure you know other people are safe. But if, if if like the whole offensive line gets sick, then I don't think you can play. You know, something like that happens. So, um, yeah, that's it's it's just one of those things. There's like it, it's uncertain right now. But I don't like I I agree. I don't think uh, one person test positive cancel the whole season for everybody. I I just don't think that could be the case. But. Yeah, I mean, you got to go into the season understanding that's not going to be the case. And again, that's just one or more of those many, many decisions that we have to come up with. And 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 here's the answer that we all agree on. Yeah. Um, we had a couple uh, of voicemails. So Joan, uh, we love Joan. It was a little over two minutes long. And now that we're doing the video stuff, I don't think we can play it because it's just hard to sit here for two minutes and listen to the voicemail. But she enjoyed the uh, Brandon Sauce interview. So thank you for that, Joan. But also didn't understand 
how people were upset about the uh, the video hires, and I I don't I didn't expect it to be that polarizing, but I would get texts from people like, "Why are they hyping this up?" And I'm like, "I don't know. It's like I don't think it's the the biggest deal in the world, but I certainly wouldn't be mad at it. It's, it seems like it's a pretty big deal." Um, but yeah, that's that's weird. But thank you, Joan, for that. Uh, we also Kurt like our buddy Curtis. I think maybe this is probably my fault because I did a whole voicemail show with Harvey Hyde and Curtis, and he called about 10 more times this week. Curtis, keep it to one time a week if we can. If you want to do one for this show, one for Harvey Hyde, but just not like an update every day because it's just I, I can't go through them all and stuff. But he's his basic thing is a little trash talk to Alabama, uh, saying that they lost their strength coach, and that's a big deal. Uh, he also wanted Alabama fans to look up Gary Bryant, who's coming off the USC bench, the you know, incoming freshman uh wide receiver. So Curtis is pretty confident heading into um, the Alabama game. And it's funny, Dan, on Tunnel Vision, we had an Alabama, Alabama guy call and was like, are all USC fans like super like, you know, uh, stoked and think they're going to crush Alabama? I'm like, no, but there, there's one that is. And that's that's Curtis. Yeah, I wouldn't call out Alabama even a little bit. I mean, no. I, if you were there for the entrance uh, of the USC team uh, in the 52 to six game, uh, you would never even think that thought. I mean, uh, if you haven't done anything to just, yeah, if that would have been the, you know, 2004, 2005, 2003, 4, 5 USC team, 2008 team, they could have come on like that, but they wouldn't have, and they didn't need to. They were going to show you when the game got here. That's why I would just, you know, nice and quiet, and you try to get to that point, and then you say, you know, we'll we'll celebrate afterwards if we if we do the you know the right thing here. But uh, I don't think anybody needs to be doing. And one of the things with Alabama, they don't do a lot of trash talking that I r- recall. I think they just show up and play, and I kind of like that. You yeah. know, I don't think Nick would let them do a lot of trash talking, but uh, I don't think USC's not in a position to do any kind of trash talking about anything at this point in time. It's just gets, it's off the, it, it, there's no point to it. I mean, and, and it, it just makes you look, it makes USC people who do that look a little like, come on, you know, wait till you've done something and then, yes. then you can do it. But uh, if you do it now, all you do is probably make yourself look, you know, and then maybe you'll be able to come back and say, see, I was right. Just say it quietly. Say, I think we got a chance. Uh, we're better than uh, people give us credit for. But I don't think you got to be tooting your own horn at this point for USC. I mean, you just can't. Yeah. And I got one more, Keely, unless you had a thought on that. Did, did no, I was just going to say that the, the caller on Tunnel Vision specifically called from Tuscaloosa about <laughs> Curtis from Arena Valley. So he was just like, uh, can I get an explanation, please? So yeah, I thought it, that was- it, it is interesting that people, I know, Keely, we were going into the Notre Dame game, was it a couple of years ago? And we the guy was checking us in. I don't know if you were with me or not. It uh, uh, was a big Notre Dame fan from Maine, and he had been listening to the podcast, you know, and I was like, you know, he had his blue and gold on, you know, a really cool guy. But uh, he said, you guys said something on the podcast. I'm thinking, boy, and I guess, you know, if people are going to play somebody, they maybe start listening to, you know, what you're saying about them or whatever. But uh, it, it it is surprising how those guys turn up. And you think, uh-oh, they're listening. Yeah. Right? I think Notre Dame is the one that I've gotten so many times people go, hey, I watch you and that guy on instant analysis. And I'm like, thanks. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> we, and those were Notre Dame fans. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I mean, South Bend. So, yeah, they, they pay attention. 
We have a regular, Coley's a regular on Tunnel Vision. He's a Notre yep. Dame fan. He's on every show we do. He's on my lunches. He's on all of it. Um, yep. One last thing, Rick from Vista. We already played a voicemail from him where we kind of crushed him a little bit. Sorry about that, Rick. But uh, he'd called multiple times too. Um, and this one is a little simpler we can discuss. I think we talked about how much lead time would you need to get into the season? And some of the coaches on the Pac-12 thing were talking about it. And I, I've heard the low of like you need at least a month um, six weeks seems to be sort of the consensus. They would like more than that. Um, and then, you know, that's kind of with, you know, coming in, but they would like to have some time with the strength coaches even before that, but probably six weeks is the one that's been thrown around the most, Dan. Yeah. I think Mike said the other night, I was surprised. He said that he'd heard somebody who said five, but, uh, I think more, more than not, they want eight. Uh, and we're guessing that six is the compromise. Six seems to be uh, the NCAA-favored position of the NCAA medical and training uh, like committee is give them two weeks of strength and conditioning in July and then uh, four weeks of uh, uh, preseason in August. Is If you had to guess, that's probably the direction it'll go, although maybe they'll give them an extra week of of strength and conditioning in, in July, but, um, but I think it's going to be about that number. I, I would, I'd be surprised if it's less than six weeks. Yeah. Something we talked about on the Family Feud podcast that I want to get your guys' thoughts on is I think that this time period will really determine who's a self-starter and who quote-unquote quote wants it because, I mean, you could get to, say, they start up in July. Could the depth chart weed itself out just based on who stayed in shape this whole time? I mean, because it'll be interesting to see what happens to the players' bodies just in the sense that they haven't had this much time off of playing in maybe their whole lives. I think it's a really good question. And college football is now more like it used to be where they, I mean, you can go back far enough. You can find uh, before they thought weight training was, was, it would make you muscle bound and don't do it, you know, and that's in the 60s. Uh, But uh uh, you know, wasn't it Nebraska, got, Dad? Nebraska had like the first strength coach, yeah. I think, and they like yeah, they, changed they, the way. Yeah, they did a lot of things at Nebraska <laughs> that weren't just lifting weights. But uh, yeah, I I stopped in there once uh, on the summer, heading out how, heading out west, and they had like 150 guys working out, and 75 of them were on scholarship, and 75 of them were on a program where they were the first school in America to figure out that you could bring in uh, uh, ADD uh, kids and, and kids that didn't test well and all that. And they developed a special program for those kids. And they got every one of those kids that didn't test well in the whole country. So they had like two football teams working out. I mean, they were so far ahead of the game in so many ways. But the strength program was something that they did, uh, you know, better than anybody. Uh, they were way ahead of their time, and uh, and it showed for a while. I mean, they eventually couldn't recruit the kids from California and, and uh, uh, the East Coast like they did, like they ha- had been able to. But uh, when they could do that, they were awfully awfully good. But uh, uh, I think what you'll see is, for example, uh, if you look back at the history of USC and look at guys like Marcus Allen or uh, O.J. Simpson or whatever. I mean, USC hasn't had players that strong and that fast and that in shape. No matter how many days you weightlift, how how long you know during the year you work with these kids. Uh, so those guys, you know, a guy like Marcus Allen was 
a lot of that was uh, doing it himself and he just wanted it so badly and he showed up you know so ready to to uh, you know develop himself and 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 I just looked at those two guys as an example of you know that's 50 years ago or 40 years ago and yet USC hasn't anybody walked through the door even looking like those two guys, you know, OJ was whatever, 210 pounds. And he was a world, had a, you know, world record, uh, you know, 400 or I guess 440 yard dash part of the record record, you know, world record team, uh, you know, and Marcus just could do anything. And, um, so a lot of that was just guys doing it on their own and, you know, being really, really good. I mean, what, what somebody said, the first weight thing they saw at USC was like one bench and, uh, you know, one set of weights somewhere in the basement of uh, what was the North gym. Yeah. And I said, you know, that was it. And those were teams that were winning national championships and really, really, uh, you know, and those are guys that did a lot of that on their own. So it'll be interesting to see who goes back to that place, Keely. I think, uh, I think we'll find out a lot because kids nowadays, you're right, they've been – you know, coached up and supervised since grade school their whole lives and almost no time off. And now we'll, we'll see who's the, who's the self-starter, as you say. That's a, that's a really good point. Yeah. yeah. It'll be interesting to see for sure. So we have an email from our buddy class, or Dan, class of 1962. He says, hi, Dan, Ryan, and Keeley. Pete Carroll was not only a great coach and face of the football program at USC, but he also embraced this South Central community in Los Angeles with his anti-gang effort. Even after leaving for Seattle, he still championed the program to help young people in Los Angeles. Is Clay Hilton doing any community outreach programs or working with high schools in the area around USC's campus? As someone who worked in Los Angeles schools for many years, I greatly appreciated the work that Pete did for all young students, not just athletes. Fight on and win, Dan, class of 1962. P.S. After hearing Ryan's interview with Vic Oto, it appears that he has the same community spirit that Pete had. Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, I think Pete was, you know, centered on, you know, South Central. I think Clay's is more, I know, um, gosh, there was a, a get-together in Orange County, and it was for, I think it was um, some kind of a, an outreach to mothers and, and children. I think uh, Clay's wife was was really involved or is really involved in something like that, but it's going in a maybe a different area, say, than the the you know the gang uh, uh, kind of the anti-gang uh, program that 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 Pete was involved in and it might be a little bit of a different time too I don't know that we kind of have the same sense of of maybe the same kind of gang activity I don't know enough about that but I I get get the feeling that there's a little bit of a different uh, you know outreach in in different areas although I think USC does a pretty good job in general as a community in terms of outreach to the the neighborhood i don't think there's any question about that but uh but pete was uh pete was had a one of a kind ability to to go you know interact and talk to uh gang guys i mean he just did uh, there's no question about it that was that was something special yeah the better la i think was the uh, yeah. charity that he but even yeah it was still running i don't know if it's still going but he did i know when he left for seattle so but I'm not. I don't know specifically yeah. what. Like we saw, we've we saw Clay Helton at the like the Juju Smith Schuster Foundation. He was the biggest donor, I think, there or something. Or he bought the. I think he bought some package. It was like five thousand dollars. I mean, he he was contributing to that stuff. I don't. 
I don't know if they're, yeah, I'd have to ask what specific, uh, if he, there's one program he's specifically involved with more. I know yeah, that I do, his I, wife, yeah. sorry, right. Angela, it, she's involved with, it's called My Friend's Place. It's basically a um, homeless, uh, they help homeless youth get out of the streets and whatnot. Okay. Um, I, it's That's based in Hollywood. Life. I, and and I, I pass by it a lot. That's how I know. But um, I know that Angela has been doing a lot of charity work. And if you pay attention, USC has their own, like, uh, outreach Twitter account. And you can see they retweet a lot. A lot of the football players do certain events with Angela and whatnot. So, and Clay will show up, too. But I know that his wife has a huge presence as far as, like, community outreach and whatnot. Yeah, that's that's what I was thinking about. Because I know they had an event in Orange County. And you know, it got a lot of attention and, 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 you know, she does a great job. Mm -hmm. We have one final email and it's, uh, it's actually the last of the series. We've been doing like the big issues. Uh, Jim sent you the big issues questions. And so it's the final one. Uh, And so he says, if selected members of the PAC 12 merge with another conference, which programs will be ranked as the most attractive behind USC? Uh. Yeah. You know, I think it would depend on uh, which conference. Uh, you would only think maybe that the uh, Big 12 is the only way probably they could go. So does that make, say, Arizona State more attractive because of geography uh, and having Phoenix as opposed to, say, Oregon as because of the national, uh, you know, Oregon is Oregon, the Oregon brand and, and what they've been doing lately. I mean, you would think also Washington would would have a lot of appeal. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, I'm not sure if UCLA would just because uh, you get just as much impact in Los Angeles with one school as two. So if you were the Big 12 and you said, whoa, this is great. We're going to be able to put Texas and California together. You don't need two schools in L.A. You know, you just need USC. Do you need a Northern California school? You know, Stanford is such in a such a different place uh, in terms of how the fans support it there. And then uh, Cal is Cal. Uh, so other than USC, I would think Arizona State might be the most attractive if you were trying to bring two into the Big 12 to actually make them 12. They've only got 10 schools now. But that would probably be my guess would be to go with Arizona State if you were going to pair USC with somebody. That's interesting. I mean, I think there's a lot of different ways this could go, Jim. And thanks for all the interesting questions we yeah. talked about the last few weeks. Um, I do think that, you know, the, the geographic pairings in the Pac-12, if you're talking about we're going to expand, you know, majorly because we want to blow out and have 16, um, you know, power, uh, you know, 16 team power conferences, I could see pairs sort of getting picked off where maybe, uh, USC and UCLA and Arizona, Arizona State go to the Big, Big Twelve or something. Um, I, you know, there's still the appeal. I think with a Washington and an Oregon, if you're talking about leaving, those would probably could could potentially come as a pair. Uh, it would have to be sort of like Big Twelvey, what you do with, um, you know, West Virginia, where you're going, you're kind of reaching outside of the the zone. But if it if it's something where they're gonna, you know, put some big conferences together. Uh, I think those are possibilities or it's some, some kind of power play. Could USC play in the SEC or something, you know, where you get to like, they grab USC and Oregon or something. I don't know. Like something like that would be kind of interesting. Um, and it might just be, you know, what if USC and UCLA said went to the big 12, 
then there's like kind of a yard sale to get, you know, they, oh, we'll bring in Arizona, Arizona State. And the Big Ten gets Washington and, and Oregon. I don't know. I mean, I think there's those schools probably have the most appeal. Um, you know, it's hard to see like a Washington State and the court and, and Oregon State, just the remoteness, even when you're on uh, the West Coast, that's tough. The, the Cal Stanford thing, just not bringing a whole lot of fanfare and stuff to the table. It, I mean, those are tougher, too. Uh, you know, Utah's come on strong. Uh, you know, Colorado was in the Big 12. I don't want to leave those schools out. I mean, I think those would have to be part of a bigger expansion. But the, the ones at the top, you know, I, I think, you know, USC is the, the one up there. But like Dan said, the Arizona schools might have, they, they bring something to the table, too, the Phoenix area and everything. And then, you know, power in the north west with uh washington and oregon it's just tough geographically to pair them up with other people but there, i think there's a lot of options you know yeah i mean if you're the big 12 and you got a lot of small college towns and you've got uh the dallas fort worth area and uh not not much else in terms of big tv markets by adding la and phoenix you add what the number two tv market and the number five six whatever phoenix is it's in the top seven for sure uh i think Jim, the thing I'm looking at as the long-range play here is what uh, and I, I first uh, uh, was suggested by Stuart Mandel of The Athletic and that the next big thing that's going to happen in college uh, athletics and conferences is there will be a superpower college football conference, a national conference mimicking the NFL with either 24 or 32 teams, and you will take you know, probably eight or nine from the SEC and maybe five or six from the Pac-12 and the other conferences in, in between. And they they won't be for all sports, just for football. And you'd have a playoff structure similar to the NFL and you'd, you'd schedule similar to the NFL with the schools geographically and then uh, some crossover and all of that. But if I had to guess what's going to happen in 10 or so years, I think there's more of a chance of that. The, the money would be unbelievable if they if they went that direction. If yeah. you had a national uh, super college football conference, and uh, again, the difficulty would be when you're getting down to number 28, 29, 30, whatever, and those who do you pick? Because you'd have you know well, do you pick Arizona State or do you pick you know whatever? But USC obviously would be in there ucla who knows uh yeah where they would be but uh but apparently stewart did the money thing and he would it looks like uh they'd be well over a hundred million dollars per team per year if they went this direction wow and got an nfl that they would be able to get an nfl type tv contract and so I would think money does talk eventually, so we'll see where that goes. But I think that will be the next, probably the next development in uh, college conference uh, reshuffling. I do like that. I'll have to go check out Stewart's article on that. Yeah. But what, and so if you're Oregon and Washington, if it's just adding teams to a conference, that's tougher. If it's the top 32 programs, that's easier. You're in. So that's a good thing. If you're Oregon and Washington, that's good. For USC, you're in no matter what. Like pe- You're valuable. You, people want you. Uh, the other thing, though, Dan, and I am not a soccer fan, but my favorite thing about soccer, and Keely, you know where I'm going, relegation. So yeah. if it's really this $100 million thing, 
and oh, you let Arizona State in or whoever. I don't know what the cutoff would be, but say you're near on the bottom. Uh, I don't know if you're Baylor or something. And um, yeah, <laughs> and you like don't win a game. Boom, you're out. Uh, Arizona State, you're in or something, you know, and then Arizona State's getting the big money and oh, they moved up the, the you know, I think that would be balls. Well, you know, it would uh, pretty much impact uh, who do you hire as your next athletic director or your next head football coach if the relegation grabs you by the ankles and pulls yeah. you down and there goes a hundred million dollars and you're now playing Washington State and Oregon State in the whatever they call that league. Uh, I think people would, uh, it would be, that would be a really, how, how that would change college football. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I mean, could you even argue amateurism at that point? I feel like you couldn't. Uh, maybe. Although, I mean, right now college football is still a gigantic, you know, uh, yeah, it's still a know, huge business gen- generating gigantic. Yeah, but It's just right now they all go to the coaches. Um, but, um, you know, this would generate a lot more dollars just because the TV money would be ridiculous. And, uh, the amount of TV money that Oregon state and Washington state say would get in this scenario would not probably be 32 million a year. They would, they would go down more like the, you know, the, the group of five where you're getting a couple of million. Uh, so that money would come out of, uh, you know, the bottom half of, of the big conferences at this point. But, uh, yeah, that would be uh, an amazing. I think TV is going to demand it fairly soon uh, and say, "Look, you know, if we want nothing but good games and nothing but games that matter and nothing that but games that'll get people watching from everywhere, and in a in a lot of ways that'll help the top Pac-12 teams uh, and going to help the the bottom ones at all. And where the SEC might get nine of their fourteen in or ten of their fourteen. And uh, Pac-12 would get, you know, five, something yeah. like that. But, What's your schedule look like this year? Well, it's it's kind of a, it's mediocre. USC plays Oregon, Washington, Texas, <laughs> Texas A&M, Alabama, LSU, Ohio State, and Michigan. You're like, oh, okay, <laughs> that's good. You know, like what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, I mean, you know, you wouldn't have any buys, and and with the NFL, there are teams that you know just aren't cutting it and you, you know, you can kind of maybe take the week off a little bit, but, um, the, the TV people would love this. I mean, it was oh, just yeah. a whole new way of looking at things, but, uh, I do think to me, that's the next step in college football. Yeah. Interesting. It, yeah. I love it. This is good. I have to go find that article right after this. He wrote it a couple of years ago and then he's updated it, but okay. it's stuck in my head that, this is by far the most sensible way this is going to go. It just, I mean, how long does USC want to be sharing equally with Oregon State and Washington State when you consider how much more expensive it is to run a program in L.A. compared to those places? And yet, you know, and who brings how much to the table? Uh, I just don't think that's going to keep flying. It just, I, I don't, I don't see it. I interviewed like, him a little bit for the my NIL story. Uh, NIL would be majorly impacted by this too like would you rather get you get your name image and likeness would be worth a lot more if you're in the power 32 as opposed to the group of 32 or whatever um you know like if you're you know hey i want to go you know you're in the, the top group then you're gonna get all that money uh but yeah maybe we'll have them on the podcast and talk about it sometime that'd be 
Huh. If, I don't know if he broke down the schools that would make it or he did. I think he did. Yeah, I think he gave, he he gave you I think both a twenty four team and a thirty two team if you went this way. Uh, but yeah, it's a wonderful uh, thing to talk about. I mean, to say the least, it's just you know so nice. much uh, cool stuff. But uh, yeah. All right. Well, thanks everyone for listening or watching. Where hopefully this works. We're trying. Uh, the little simulcast for the first time. Keely's a little pixelated now, so we're, you know we got we got to get her some. I gotta say, my roommate gotta, was having like a Zoom conference call video thing while this was happening, so I was trying to hear you guys while you right. were cutting out. So I did my best. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, it sounded like we could hear you okay. I think we sounded that okay, all right, okay. but hopefully there weren't any issues there. And please, like, make sure um, we're doing this big push. If you have any Apple products that you can get podcasts on. Subscribe to the Peristyle Podcast on your on your podcasting app. Uh, oh, we didn't. Oh, Keely, I forgot. We might have had a couple reviews. We could. Uh, we do if we want to shout them out. At yeah, all. shout out. Yeah, we. So we want to give you some shout outs if you leave us some good reviews. It really helps to uh, grow the show. We've been around the longest. We've been doing this forever, but we want to kind of build up those reviews a little bit. That's something we mention, but it really does help us. So if you have a minute, uh, please do. Yeah, so Bala fan said, simply the best. The crew that works this podcast are simply the best when it comes to USC football. Some of the most trusted names in the community. Any USC fan should be listening. Thank you for that. Thank you. Uh, G. Harry said, the podcast is amazing. Great job on the content and guest list. This is one of my favorite podcasts that's on constant rotation. Um, Ed from Marina Valley said, great insights and guests that keep us up to date. Fight on. Uh, J.R. Newsom said, uh, I really enjoy listening to the podcast. It's great analysis and guests, even if even if it's too am- am- amicable to certain USC employees. So we get some <laughs> some mixed reviews, but he gave us five stars, so we'll take it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so a lot of a lot of five stars. Thank you guys so much. We appreciate it. We really do. Thanks for that. And uh, yeah, if you spend a minute and and if you want to put a question on there, we can uh, we'll we'll make sure those bump to the top. If you have a, a five star question. Uh, from the uh, the Apple Podcast reviews, we'd love to do that. But wherever you listen to the podcast, you know, you, if some people are just on their desktop computer playing the playing it there. But if you have a you know whatever your smartphone is, you, there's probably some kind of podcasting app. Or if it's an Android phone, Google Podcast, I like to use. But Stitcher or TuneIn, all those different applications, you can get um, the podcast on. So please subscribe. We love when you listen. We love when you write in, call in. We love when you leave reviews. So we do appreciate that. Um, we'll wrap it up. That is Dan Weber sitting there. Keely, you're sitting there and I'm sitting here. We're still trying to be safe, not in the same room and everything. So hopefully you guys are too. We are very hopeful that we will have some sort of college football this fall. We want it to happen. We're, we're, so we're doing what we can to make it happen. But in the meantime, we'll just keep coming at you the way we've been uh, talking about the, the Trojans. So for Dan Keely, I'm Ryan. Thanks so much for tuning in and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices. Every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. 
Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.